and uh, we're in chapter 3. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is kind of a slap in the face. And, and uh, as I preach it, I just always want to remind you guys that we're going through Corinthians. And there's, there's, there's good stuff and there's hard stuff. And uh, the, the Corinthian church was a church that was a church that had gone to extremes. First, it, they, the, the cultural background of Corinth was kind of a wild party town. Uh, there were actually two seaports back-to-back, very, very short distance, just a couple miles from each other. Uh, there, there was an isthmus and then a, a, a great big lump of a peninsula, and it was cheaper to land a ship in one side, bring it into harbor, unload it, cart the goods across the thing, and then put them back on another ship and sail out than it was to sail around. So you got two seaports with all the prostitution, all the alcohol, all the party, all the stuff that goes on, and a church is born, and people have come to the Lord, and, and, but they're kind of roughshod people. And in, interestingly, they had wide open faith. And, and uh, toward the end of 1 Corinthians, what we're going to see is a whole lot about the miraculous and, and, the, and the powerful things that God does in people's lives and that he was doing in Corinth. Wonderful things are happening in the lives of this church. But at the same time, they, they, they still had enough of their old world, old life, old nature on them that they were spiritually very immature people, and they're cranky, and they're fighting with each other, and they're given into hero worship. And uh, it's not exactly a problem that we have around this church. This is a very loving church. It's a, uh, a church where people are getting along with one another. And, uh, you know, I, I just made a new friend last Saturday night, invited him to my mini church, uh, had to have a little surgical procedure and wasn't able to make mini church myself. I saw him tonight. He's going, those are wonderful people. I had a great time. I went to a mini church. They invited me back for a birthday party that they were doing for the guy that hosts the mini church. I mean, this is the way a church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be healthy and supposed to be fruitful. I, I think the, the key to our success is really our mini church. I really think that getting together and praying for each other and caring about each other and loving on each other is the backbone of our church. The rest of it's my good preaching, of course. But... Um, <laughs> But that's specifically what he actually gets down to. And he says, you guys have started hero-worshipping different Christian leaders, and, and there's something really wrong with that. And you hold this guy up, and you go, I'm a part of, I follow this guy, or I follow this guy, or I follow this guy. And, and he goes, we're just here to serve, and you shouldn't do this. You should be looking beyond stuff like that and looking to the purpose that God has for your individual life. God has a plan for a church. Uh, we believe that uh, God has called us not only to multiply churches and to make disciples who do that, and we're, we've done that to the tune of 700 plus around the world, but we believe that he's called us to live our life as an example that would call other people out to do it. See, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of every person. Most churches believe that that's something it's for Christianity to do, but it's not for them to do locally. We live in the most isolated group of islands in the world. We're further from mainland than any other island group, and yet we're reaching into every continent in the world. At one point, we even had a small, what would be called a house church, going in Antarctica for a few years. And so we, we've just been crazy enough to believe that that we have a purpose that's bigger than just getting together and having a good time. And that purpose is to change the world. 
and, and to change it by our own efforts, but to change it by challenging others to go out and, and, and do the same thing. And it's happening. You know, I told you last week that, uh, about Japan. I'm going to write a little Mission Hope newsletter up and be able to tell you more. But, uh, you know, after all these years, we've been sowing seed, sowing seed, sowing seed. All of a sudden, we're reaping harvest in Japan. And it's just all over the place. People are, are, are beginning to multiply churches. They're multiplying disciples. They're, 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 they're getting out of their traditional stiffness. And, and it's just, it, you know, there's, there's five churches in Tokyo with more than 1,000 people. Never happened before in history. We have had a very, very strong material part in contributing to that change in that nation. And we believe that God has a purpose for our church. If we didn't have a purpose, other than to just to get together and go to church, then what you reduced down to was, well, what, what, what do you think of the worship today? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I didn't like Keith's shirt. Or, 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 or what about the sermon? Oh, he bombed today. It was bad news, you know. Or, wow, it's really wonderful. It was so, you know, ah. See, it, when we get self-centered, we, we become small. When we're other-centered, uh, we become big. Does that make sense to you? The, the Bible says that, 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 that the world of the generous person grows larger and larger. The world of the stingy person grows smaller and smaller. It's actually talking about being stingy with our money or being generous with our money. But it's, it's also true of our time and our attitudes and just the way that we see the world. If, if, we're, if, we're, if we're all self-centered, then our world becomes a little tiny microcosm. If we're other-centered, our world becomes something much, much, much larger and much, much more fun to live in. Am I making sense when I say this? So having preached the sermon, let's look at the text. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Remember last week, he said that the, that, that the wisdom of the world doesn't work uh, in, in, in the family of God, but it's spiritual wisdom that works. And then he says, I, I came to you in spiritual wisdom. But now he comes back and he says, but I held back. I had to hold back because you weren't ready for it. He says, and, and by the way, again, I, I, I don't think I'm preaching at a bunch of people with a bunch of problems tonight. This, this becomes backdrop for the rest of Corinthians for us, because I think we're pretty healthy. However, there may be a person or two in here who's going, oh, I got that problem. I need to deal with that in my life. Uh, and if this shoe fits, then you're free to wear it. So go from there. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world, in other words, you weren't in Christ, or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. In other words, you guys are a bunch of babies. And he says, you're still not ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people in the world? The, 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 when, when we're quarrelsome people and we're arguing and we're criticizing and we're, 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 we're given to that, what we're saying is, I'm not very close to God. You know, if that is your problem and, and you find yourself always carping about somebody, then I would say you need to really re-examine your relationship with the Lord and, and, and go, what do I need to tighten up? What needs to get changed in my life? How do I need to, 
to grow and, and, and get beyond the spiritual immaturity to the place where, where I come ready, especially when I come to church, I come ready to receive something from the Lord that has something to do with God's purpose for the way that I live my life and, 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 and then that I learn to function in that and to grow mature in all of that. Verse 4, when one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, well, I follow Apollos, are you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your heart. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. You know, you, 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 you get into this, you know, I follow this guy, I follow this guy. And, and Paul and Apollos were partners in this whole thing. They didn't see themselves as in competition at all. And, and they, they saw that they each played a different role. You know, the, the way that this succession is going between Carl and I, you know, we're now calling him lead pastor and me founding pastor. We used to call him youth pastor. And then we called him college pastor. And then we called him men's pastor. And, and then we called him co-pastor. And, 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 and now we're at a point where for really the last year, uh, the, the leadership decisions in the church, he's been making them. Uh, I, and I, I never told him, you know, hey, buddy, today's the day you graduated. You're now the lead pastor. You, you know, I, all, all I did is what I always do when I make disciples. I, I sort of set up little scenarios for them to function in, and then I abandon them. And, you know, Rob McWilliams, the first time I told this on Tuesday night, the first time that Rob ever uh, ran a, an event in our church. Rob is Mr. Events in our church. Have you noticed? I mean, if we throw a big party, Rob's running it. Uh, Rob came to us at age 29, and we hired him to be our men's pastor. And um, he, he, before that, he was uh, a, car, a carpenter. And so we, we, we had our first luau. We had just hired Rob, and Rob ran the luau, and it was at Heiakea at the park that's down there. We had 500 people show up. It was the biggest event in the history of our church. We were one year old. It was our first anniversary luau. And, and uh, Rob, we put this big program together. We flew in Zach Nazarian from California, the, the church where I used to pastor. He was the new pastor. We flew him in, and they were helping us financially in those days. And, and so uh, uh, Rob sets up two tables and a whole bunch of people serving food, and he's going to serve 550 people this way. And we had a line snaking all the way around the auditorium all night long. The whole, and we waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. Finally, we started the program. And the whole time the program was going on, they were still serving food. Well, Rob has learned logistics since then. He's learned to, to set up lots of feeding tables, let people get their own food, don't stole it out, you know, all, all that. But you know how he learned it best? I made sure that I didn't show up to the event until five minutes after it was supposed to start. I wasn't going to be there to bail him out. I, 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 we set it up. He planned it. He ran it. He made a mistake. He, 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 he remembers that mistake. His face will turn red today if you bring it up. But he learned the lesson, and he's ace at what he does now. Am I making sense? You know, Carl, I, I, about a year ago, I just started sort of sitting back in staff meetings. And, I, and, and people would bring something up, and I wouldn't have much to say. And and, and Carl would have something to say, and I'd go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so a few weeks ago, uh, we, we, we decided that we should change the title to match the job. And so his job now is 
he's the lead pastor, I'm the founding pastor. And, and sadly, the rumor got around somehow uh, th that I was retiring, and that ain't going to happen. So uh, you, you need to know that. You're stuck with me for a good long while. Uh, but, 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 but now he's having to wear the headaches, and I get to sort of have the fun. <laughs> and I've had people come to me and say, you know, you've been my pastor all my, all my life, and I really love you. But I, I'm going with the young guy. I really like him. And you know something? I'm his dad. And I'm his mentor. And he's my disciple. And I'm thrilled. And we're a team. We're a team. We're, we're partners. Is this good? Well, Paul and Apollos were partners. Paul started the church. And then he went and got Apollos and, 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 and had to school Apollos a little bit. He had to disciple Apollos. And then, you can read about this in the book of Acts, and then Apollos became the pastor of the church. And Paul would travel like I travel, and he'd come and go. And, and, and so uh, he was in town sometimes, out of town sometimes, and people in Corinth were getting into like a two-party system in the church. You know, I'm of, of Apollos, I'm of Paul. You know, and, and, and Paul's going, what are Apollos and I? We're, we're, we're just partners. I sowed the seed. Apollos watered the seed, but God made the seed grow. And without God doing his thing, nothing would happen. Am I making sense? And, and, and so, you know, we've seen that on this island. We've seen churches. We've, we've actually had many churches break up because somebody from another church came to our mini church. This happened twice. And they came to one of our mini churches. And what we do in mini church, by the way, is usually eat food, talk about the sermon and what it meant to us, what the Holy Spirit said. And then we pray for each other. And next week we come back and while we're eating food, we go, well, what happened? I prayed for you. What happened? And you hear the wonderful stories that God does these things. And it just, it's just, it, in, in a world without many friends, you know, Hillary Clinton wrote that book, It Takes a Village. Well, we've created a village in our church by, by, by mini church. And, and uh, it, it just, it takes a bunch of extended families and we've created extended families. But we've actually had people come in and, 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 and they, they take up the time of the mini church wanting to brag about their church is better than our church. And it's like, are you out of your mind or what? We're partners. I know your pastor. He's my friend. What are you talking about? This is crazy. And, and so he's talking to people and he's going, you guys are just pretty immature here. Time for you to grow up. He goes, verse 7, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their hard work. Both will be rewarded for their hard work. You know, I had a man come to church last weekend, and um, uh, maybe he's sitting here. I don't remember if it was Saturday night or Sunday morning. But on the way out the door, he, he came to me and, and he said, you know, I really liked your service, and it was so good, and, and, and I liked the preaching, and and you're so handsome. No, I didn't say that part. And, and, um, and he said, but the ironic thing is that, <clears throat> that, that you, you know, church seems so much like my church. And, and he goes, but the ironic thing is I go to a Roman Catholic church. Like, that's supposed to be, and it's like, yeah. One of my best friends is Herman Gomes, a pastor at St. Anne's. I told him that, and he goes, really? And I go, yeah. We go to breakfast together. We talk together. We let our hair down. 
We, we, Rome, Herman can tell you everything is wrong with Catholicism, and I can tell you everything is wrong with Protestantism. Uh, we get together and we share, and, 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 and we're buddies. And, and, and there, there just doesn't need to be any of this in the family of God. We're working for the same purpose. Am I making headway? Well, he goes on and he says that people are going to be rewarded for their hard work. If you have your Bible out, underline those words. Both will be rewarded for their hard work because it's not just talking about Paul and Apollos or Ralph and Carl or Herman Gomes. It's talking about people who are serving the Lord. You're going to be rewarded for your hard work. And the point of this passage is if you're sitting around griping and, and, and comparing and doing all those kind of things, you never get around to the working. And if you get around to the working and God gets around to the rewarding, and he's going to bless you for blessing other people. Am I making sense of this? Uh, you'll notice I keep saying, am I making sense? That That's usually because I uh, feel a little insecure because nobody's giving me any facial acknowledgement about anything, if I'm saying something good or not. Um, I, I had a story that rewarded me last week. I, I, it was Sunday morning after the 7 o'clock service. And I, I saw a guy in church, and uh, I haven't seen him for a few weeks, and uh, I was gone to Japan for a few weeks, so that always throws me. When I'm gone on a trip, and then I start worrying about people in the church, I haven't seen you. Where have you been? Well, you were here. I was there. Um, but, but I start doing this, you know. And, and so I, I, th- I do think he missed a couple of weeks before I was gone, and then I didn't see him. I saw him last Sunday. And, and he came up to me, and, um, and we had prayed. This is a real interesting thing. We had prayed about probably 12 weeks ago. Uh, one-on-one, I prayed with him to receive the Lord in his heart. And he's a person who's come to our church and then not come to our church and come and not come over probably 20 years. He'll, he'll come for like, uh, world blows up, he's here for two weeks, and then things get solved and he's gone for two years. And then he comes back for two weeks and gone for two years. And, and so uh, he started coming and he coming consistently and the consistency was starting to get to him. He was starting to all of a sudden things that before were just kind of disconnected were making sense. And so we had a little talk about that. And I, and I, and I, I was kind of, you know, the shepherd sometimes has to kind of, kind of tell the sheep, you're doing it wrong here. And so I just go, look, you know, you're finally starting to grow in your understanding of the Lord because you actually came here for four weeks in a row. And it's making a difference in your life. And, you know, you're right. It is. It is. And, and, and so I, I go, would you like to just pray and, and, and pray and invite the Lord into your life? And, and oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. And, and so he did that. And, and, um, and, and then he's been coming since. I just didn't see him for the last few weeks, but he's been coming. And, and, um, and, and so he came to me last week and he said, you know, I've got to tell you something. And he, and he goes, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you this, but I've got to tell you something. And I go, what's that? And he goes, remember when we prayed that night, that prayer we prayed? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, before that prayer, I, I, I was really heavily, heavily involved in Internet pornography. And he goes, since we prayed that prayer that night, I, I, I haven't looked at any of that at all. And he goes, for the first time in my adult life, I feel like a whole man. I feel like a whole man. And I, I want you to know that, to me, that's one of the most rewarding things that's happened to me in, in, in months. Now, I know stuff like that's going on all the time because I'm hearing it from, you know, this happened in the church. And, and quite often it happens 
Somebody receives the Lord in church, just sitting down in a service. But that doesn't ever happen all by itself, ever. That happens because one of you shared your faith with somebody, and somebody else shared their faith with the same person, maybe somebody from another church, and they come to church, and I pray with people at the end of the service, and probably what they already decided last Tuesday to follow Jesus, they kind of make it official by praying on Saturday night. And, and, and God does something transformative in their life. It happens that way. But I don't usually get the, the joy of it was I got to pray with some guy one-on-one, and then God did this vast, incredibly cool thing in his life. And, uh, and, 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 and you know what is really interesting to me? I just love this part of it. I really love this part of it because he's brand new, really. I mean, he's been off and on here for 100 years, but he's brand new. That He didn't say, since the day I prayed to accept Jesus in my life. He said, since we prayed that prayer that day. It's like he still doesn't have the, the Christian lingo down, you know? And, and, and I think that's really important because you don't need the lingo for the miracles to happen. The miracle happened, and, and I got to be a part of the miracle, and, and it's just like, whoa, I like that. That's really, really cool. Well, there's a scripture that you might want to write in the margin of your Bible. Just write the address, and then I'll read it out loud. You don't need to turn there. It's in Ephesians 4, verse 4. Or 14, verse 14. Ephesians 4 says that, that God gave the church leaders, uh, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, for the equipping of the saints until we all come to maturity in Christ, full maturity of Christ. And then verse 14 says this, after we've come to maturity, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He's saying that when, when, when the church does its job, and the apostles and the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists are, are, are functioning, they're building up the church, equipping the church to do the works of God. Again, growth has a purpose. Growth isn't, so I'll just grow in the Lord. Growth has a purpose, so I'll do the things that God wants done through my life. My, my purpose on earth will be fulfilled. Are you with me in this? And then he says, at that point, when maturity begins to arrive, then we won't be blown and tossed by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, instead we'll speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ who's the head of his body, the church. I want you to know something. I write books. And uh, the kind of books that I write are only read by a few people in the world because they're books on how to start churches, and there's not a whole lot of people wanting to do that. Um, but if, if you sell a book, if the, books are, if the book publisher sells it to the bookstore, uh, and the bookstore sells it, not Amazon, uh, you get like 15% of that book. So for a $15 book, I get like $2 and a quarter. But if you write books that aren't like preacher books, because basically uh, I figured it out once, uh, one of my best-selling books, the whole thing averaged out to minimum wage for the, the hours that I had written in the book. But I don't write the books to make money. I write the books because I want to change the world. And I'm out to. Uh, I'm not an author. I'm, I told the publisher, I'm not. They were trying to get me to do some radio interviews and stuff. And I said, okay, but you got to know I'm not an author. I'm a 
I'm a propagandist. Uh, I, I'm out to, to, to rattle the way people think. But there's guys that are out there writing books so they, they can write books and make money off of them, Christian books. And in order to sell a lot of books, uh, you've got to say a lot of tricky things. Your, book, you, your whole deal is I've got to distinguish my book from everybody else's book. And so a lot of stuff that gets written is, is, is got stuff in it that if you really carefully compare it to Scripture, you'll find that it's written in the name of the Lord, but it doesn't match up to the Bible. It doesn't at all. And you've got to kind of be on your guard. You've got to have your filters up. And, and, the, and the guy may be making literally millions of dollars a year selling books. M- literally millions of dollars a year selling books. But the stuff that he's got to say, uh, it, sometimes it's fluff. I talked to an author once, and, and, and he's a Christian author. He's quite a famous author. And he said, you know, I go and I, and I get the, the, best sell, the best-selling self-help books that are out there. And then I rewrite them and I Christianize them. And I put my name on it. And I look at that and I, and I think, man... You, you, you know, you're, you're, you're in danger of taking something that's not quite true and then slapping a scripture on it and making people believe it. And so there, there is a thing. This is a little free sermon in the middle of the sermon, right? You need to keep the filters up. You need to keep the filters up. But, but he says as we get more mature. Now here again, maturity has to do with I'm understanding what God has for me because it serves a purpose in my life that God also has for me. When you see maturity that way, then all of a sudden, the filters are pretty much already in place. Because you're, you're, you're trying to grow, not so I fill my head with knowledge, but you're trying to grow so you can give and you can do something. Then you're, you're, you're in pretty good shape against something that would come along that would be deceptive. Am I making headway? You guys, you're waking up. This is very good. <laughs> Verse 9. It says, talking about Paul and Apollos, he's talking about his buddy. He says, we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Okay, it's like we're farmers, you're the field. We're builders, you're the building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now, he's not ashamed of saying I did a good job. And, you know, in Hawaii, we live in so much shame that if you tell somebody they did a good job, they argue with you. Uh, Paul says... When I laid the foundation, I did it like an expert builder. It's okay if you do something right to say it's right. Uh, shame is of the devil. Um, pride is of the devil. But, but humble acknowledgement of something well done is godly. And Paul, in a godly way, says, When I laid the foundation, I laid it like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already laid, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Now, stop and think about what I just said to you about the writing of books. You know, Solomon wrote in the Old Testament, in the reading of books, there is much weariness. Uh, but sometimes in the reading of books, there's much flim-flam. And, and it's saying here that somebody who writes books 
and it's not just writing books. I'm, I'm kind of off on a jag saying that. Maybe I shouldn't have even said that. I don't know. But it's just anything that we build. Uh, you, you know, in Japan, what we've been fighting for years is false religious tradition. If you go to uh, j church in Japan today, every church, every little church, uh, is, is, is in the process of changing, warming up, becoming more loving. But if you went to Japan 15 years ago, most churches looked almost exactly like the church I attended in 1952. The songs they sang, the worship format, the way that they went about it, the way that the person led worship, there was usually a piano, and some guy up here doing this with his hands, you know. And, 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 and I, I led a girl to the Lord one Christmas Eve. She was going to commit suicide that night, Japanese national. And when she found the Lord, she found joy. And she lived in Hawaii for three years. She was just the happiest person in our church, and everybody loved her. And today she's working in Hope Chapel, Tokorozawa, and she's a volunteer, but she's the number two person in the church. She's making things happen. But when she first went back to Japan, I sent her to one of those traditional Japanese churches. Why did they look like 1952? Because all the GIs went to, to Japan to rebuild after Hiroshima and the firebombing of the big cities in Japan, and they all got guilt callings to go back to Japan and start churches. And, and there, there, there are over, there are like 220 denominations of about 14 churches each where it's the life work of one of these missionaries. And I met some of these guys. And, 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 and a lot of them, they were very, very motivated by guilt over what we had done to Japan in the war. That came out in their churches. The style of their churches never changed from when they, they had time to come back to America, go to college, go to seminary, go back to Japan in the early 50s. And their churches looked the same way in the 1990s. It was just amazing. And, and then they were so caught up in their tradition and their rigidity and their whatever that like this one girl I'm telling you about that was going to commit suicide and so laughing all the time, I sent her to one of my friend's churches in Japan and he, he, he pushed her out. They, they just gave her the cold shoulder and got rid of her in a hurry. And I went over and confronted him. I go, what is wrong with you? And, and, and the guy says, you need to be careful what kinds of people you send to our church. That girl smiles too much. <laughs> now, there's a foundation laid that's Jesus Christ. But what in the world is that guy building on that foundation? It's something really wrong. And when judgment day comes, the Bible says here that the, the builder will be saved like one who's escaped through a wall of flame. But his works will evaporate. They'll be burned up. They don't count for anything. It's either the real thing or it's nothing. Are you with me? Well, moving on, he says in verse 16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? I believe it's all of us together are the temple of God, that the church is not this tent, that the church is the people sitting here in these chairs, and that you're the temple of God. And I believe that individually you're the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And he goes on and says, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And here he's actually making a very pointed warning against people who are bringing division into the church and says, God will get you. If you bring division into the church, you be the kind of person that you're supposed to be. 
So, moving on, he says, Stop deceiving yourselves in verse 18. If you think you're wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool in order to be truly wise. Now, he's exaggerating to make a point. If you think you're wise in the wisdom of the world, then you need to push that wisdom aside and begin to get spiritually wise. And the wisdom of God is all wrapped up in the two commandments of Jesus. Remember, when somebody asked Jesus what's the most important commandment, and, and, and they were trying to debate him. And he said the most important commandment is you love God with everything that's in you. And then he volunteered a second. And he said the second most important commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So if, if we would do that, and we push aside all this, the sophistication of the world, <clears throat> and we hang on to love, then we got a hold of something that's real, and it's enduring, and it's going to, we're building well on the foundation that was laid, and what we build our lives into is going to stand, count for something, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be healthy. Um, he goes on and says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, He traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows that they're worthless. In other words, all, all, all of the, the, you know, I, I, I follow the financial press real close. I, I really watch my investments. And every so often I, I, I realize I'm reading too much of this stuff. Because one guy says one thing, the other guy says the opposite. And, it's, and, and, and you know, if you stay a distant, you can kind of sort trends out. But if you get too close and you're reading everything, pretty soon you're going crazy. And, uh, and, and, and the, the, the wisdom of this world, the speculations of this world, aren't really what we're all about. The wisdom of God is love the Lord and love the person sitting next to you and you do a pretty good thing. And then he ends up by saying, so don't boast about following a particular human leader. Don't get yourself caught up in what this church was caught up in. I'm following this guy. I'm following this guy. You, you just be somebody that loves the Lord. Am I making sense with all this? Good, because I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who we worship. And we're thankful for what he did for us on that cross, dying to cancel out our shame. Lord, one of the things that I've learned in Japan is that when there's dishonor, that, that they compensate for it by death. And we dishonored you by turning our backs on you. And we brought shame on ourselves. And we brought guilt on ourselves. And you compensated for the shame and the guilt when your son, who had never sinned against you, who bore no guilt, who bore no shame, when he took our guilt and our shame to that cross, you compensated. You made it possible for you to forgive us of everything stupid and awful and wrong in our lives and for you to then transform us to do things like that man telling me the story of he's not looking at pornography anymore and he feels like a whole man for the first time. Lord, I, I pray that even as we're praying, as I'm standing here talking and we're praying, I pray that you would be reaching into human hearts and minds in this room and that you would, you would, you would do your transformational work in the heart of everybody who's open, who's saying, Lord, I need this. Maybe it is pornography. Maybe it is anger. Maybe it is a gossipy tongue. Whatever it is, maybe it's alcohol. Lord, that you would just 
set people free. Lord, that you'd help us to focus on, on, on who you are and who we are and how you want to work through us and that we live our lives on a mission with purpose. And Lord, not just trying to be missionaries or stuff like that, but our, our regular life, going to work in that auto shop or going to work in that lawyer's office or going to work in that hospital or wherever it is that we, that we work, that we would, we would go, what am, what am I here for? What's my purpose? What's God got for me? As we live our life with our family, with our children, with our grandchildren, that the choices that we would make would be purpose-driven choices and that we would live out your purposes in our life. And, and Lord, I believe that as we do that, we'll continue to be a healthy church. Lord, that together, as we, as we bond together as a church and we do things like Samaritan's Purse or we sponsor things like Alpha, uh, that we plant churches around the world, that we do things like the incredible offering that we took $17,000 for Elwanahu starting that brand new church. Lord, that, that as, as, as we're investing in other people, that we will make a material difference in this world. Help us to just keep focused on the fact that we together our spiritual temple, and that we are called to, to make this world, to redeem this world, to make it into a better place. In Jesus' name we pray.